For a child will be born to us, a son will be given to us, and the government will rest upon his shoulders. And his name will be called Wonderful, Counselor, Mighty God, Eternal Father, Prince of Peace. And there will be no end to the increase of his government or of peace on the throne of David and over his kingdom to establish it and uphold it with justice and righteousness from then on and forevermore. The zeal of the Lord of hosts will accomplish this. God sent the angel Gabriel to Nazareth, a village in Galilee, to a virgin named Mary. She was engaged to be married to a man named Joseph, a descendant of King David. Gabriel appeared to her and said, Greetings, favor one. The Lord is with you. Confused and disturbed, Mary tried to think, What could the angel mean? Don't be frightened, Mary, the angel told her. God has chosen to bless you. You will become pregnant and have a son, and you're to name him Jesus. He will be very great and will be called the Son of the Most High. But Mary asked the angel, how can I have a baby? I'm, I'm a virgin. And the angel replied, the Holy Spirit will come upon you. The power of the Most High will overshadow you. So the baby born to you will be holy, and he will be called the Son of God. While Mary was still a virgin, she became pregnant by the Holy Spirit. And Joseph, her fiancé, being just a man, decided to break the engagement quietly so as not to disgrace her publicly. As he considered this, he fell asleep, and the angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream. Joseph, son of David, the angel said, don't be afraid to go ahead with your marriage to Mary, for the child in her has been conceived by the Holy Spirit. And she will have a son, and you are to name him Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. All of this happened to fulfill the Lord's message through his prophet Behold, the virgin will conceive a child. She will give birth to a son, and he will be called Emmanuel, meaning God with us. This prophecy from Isaiah 7:14 was given 700 years before Jesus was born. When Joseph woke up, he did what the angel of the Lord had commanded him. He brought Mary home to be his wife, but she remained a virgin until her son was born. And at that time, the Roman Emperor Augustus decreed that a census should be taken throughout the Roman Empire. All returned to their own towns to register for the census because Joseph was a descendant of King David. He had to go to Bethlehem in Judea, David's ancient home. So they traveled from the village of Nazareth in Galilee and took with him Mary, his wife, who was great with child. And while they were there, the time came for her baby to be born. She gave birth to her first child, a son, wrapped him in swaddling clothes, and laid him in a manger. That night there were shepherds in the fields 
outside the village guarding their flocks of sheep. And suddenly an angel of the Lord appeared among them. And the radiance of the Lord's glory surrounded them. They were terribly frightened, but the angel reassured them, Don't be afraid, he said. I bring you good news of great joy for everyone. A Savior, yes, the Messiah, the Lord, has been born tonight in Bethlehem, the city of David. And this is how you will recognize him. You will find a baby lying in a manger wrapped in swaddling clothes. And suddenly the angel was joined by a vast host from heaven, the armies of heaven, praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest and on earth, peace, goodwill towards men. Then the angels left, and the shepherds said to each other, Come, let us go to Bethlehem and see this wonderful thing that has happened, which the Lord has told us about. So they ran to the village, and they found Mary and Joseph, and there was the baby lying in the manger. The shepherds told everyone what had happened and what the angel had said to them about this child. All who heard their story were astonished, but Mary, she kept these things in her heart. The shepherds went back to their fields and flocks, and they were glorifying and they were praising God. Jesus was born in the town of Bethlehem in Judea during the reign of King Herod. And at the same time came wise men from the east to Jerusalem asking, Where is this newborn king of the Jews? We've seen his star that arose and have come to worship him. But Herod was deeply disturbed by their question, as was all of Jerusalem. He called a meeting of the leading priests and the teachers in the religious law. Where did the prophets say the Messiah will be born, he asked. In Bethlehem, they said. For this is what the prophet wrote. O Bethlehem of Judea, you're not just a lowly village of Judah, or a ruler will come to you who will be the shepherd for my people Israel. And this prophecy is found in Micah 5 and verse 2, in 2 Samuel chapter 5 and verse 2. Both were written 700 years before Jesus was born. So Herod sent a message to the wise men asking them, Hey, come see me. At this meeting, he learned the exact time when they first saw the star. And he told them, I want you to go to Bethlehem, search diligently for the child. And when you find him, come and tell me that I may go and worship him too. After this meeting, the wise men went on their way, and once again the star appeared to them to guide them to Bethlehem. It went ahead of them and stopped over the place where the child was. And when they saw the star, they were filled with joy. They entered the house where the child and his mother were, and they fell down and they worshipped him, and they opened their treasure chest, and they gave him gifts of gold frankincense and myrrh but when it was time to leave they went another way because God had warned them in a dream do not return to Herod after the wise men were gone the angel of the Lord appeared to Joseph in a dream get up 
flee to Egypt with the child and his mother. The angel said, stay there until I tell you to return because Herod, he's going to try and kill the child. That very night, Joseph left for Egypt with the child and Mary and his mother, and they stayed there until Herod's death. This fulfilled what the Lord had spoken to the prophet out of Egypt, I have called my son. Well, Herod was furious when he learned the wise men had outwitted him. And he sent soldiers to kill all the baby boys in and around Bethlehem who were two years old and under. Because the wise men had told him that the star had first appeared to them about two years before. But then later when Herod died, God's angel appeared in a dream to Joseph in Egypt. Get up, take the child and his mother, and return to Israel. All those who wish to murder the child are dead. So Joseph obeyed. He arose, took the child and his mother, and they re-entered Israel. And when he heard, though, that Herod's son had taken over as king in Judea, he was afraid to go there. But then Joseph was directed in a dream, go to the hills of Galilee. And on arriving, he settled in the village of Nazareth, fulfilling the words of the prophets. He shall be called a Nazarene. You see, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son that whosoever believeth in him should not perish but have everlasting life. And this is the story of Christmas. Come on, let's give him praise. Hallelujah. love that. Whosoever believes in him will not perish, but have eternal life. You know, um, the word that the Lord spoke to me this morning about tonight was joy. And I don't know about you guys, but when I hear that story, I have so much joy in my heart. Not the temporary kind of joy, but the kind of joy that, that knows that there was a plan. From the very beginning, there was a plan, and there's still a plan. So I just wanted to read out of Hebrews 12. It says, Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles, and let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us, fixing our eyes on Jesus, who is the pioneer and the perfecter of our faith. For the joy that was set before him, he endured the cross, despising its shame. Set down at the right hand of the throne of God. And it says, Consider him who endured such opposition from sinners so that you will not grow weary and lose heart. And I just felt like this was a verse for us tonight as we stop and take communion. Um, and speaking of communion, you guys can get out your communion elements. And if you don't have any with you, just raise your hand and the ushers will bring you all some. Do what? Oh, everyone can stand. So the thing that stuck out to me in this verse, it says, For the joy that was set before him, he endured the cross. The joy that was set before him. 
that was glorifying his father. And it was also our faces. That's the joy that was set before him. It wasn't a temporary joy, the kind of joy kids that comes or goes based on what Christmas present you get, right? Or the kind of joy that comes or goes based on what family members are with you this year or not with you. Or the kind of joy that comes or goes based on any of our circumstances, but the kind of joy that seeks to glorify the Father and to see His face and to be close to Him. That's the kind of joy that He has made available to us through the cross. So just as we remember Him tonight, as we take communion together, let's remember the joy that He brought. I mean, we sang joy to the world. The kind of joy He brought with Him when He came was eternal joy, the kind of joy that doesn't move. So I'm just going to read out of Luke. It says, And he took the bread and gave thanks and broke it and gave it to them, saying, This is my body given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. So let's take of the bread together. In the same way, after the supper, he took the cup, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood, which is poured out for you. Let's drink the cup together. Father, we thank you. We thank you for the new covenant that we get to live under because of you, because of what you gave on the cross. Lord, because of what you did for us, Father, the the sin, the shame, everything that you took on yourself in our place, Father, so that we could live in complete freedom with you. And oh, the joy that that brings to us, freedom in you, Christ. In Jesus' name, amen. today. Merry Christmas. Let's keep the lights down if you don't mind. Um, Well, it's Christmas Eve. Hey, let me just, yeah. Hey, if you haven't gotten your gifts yet, it's getting a little late. It's getting a little late. Um, So in just a few hours, it's going to be Christmas Day, kids. We all excited? Yeah, all right. You're going to be opening up presents. You're going to be eating some great food. Yeah, the kid's like, I don't care about the food. Just give me the presents. You'll be hanging out with family and friends and cousins and all that good stuff, aunts and uncles. Hey, don't forget tomorrow, 9 and 3, we already mentioned it, but just what, what, what it's a 20 minutes is real quick, but the idea of this whole thing was just to take a time. You know, I don't know if you know this, you could actually go the entire day of Christmas and never mention Jesus. Everybody's quiet. They're like, uh, maybe I have done that. Um, you can go the entire day and open all those presents and never, ever put the focus on who the whole focus should be on. And so I just thought this would be a, just a fun opportunity to take 20 minutes and just uh, give that time to the Lord. So, But I feel like it's right for us to stop and prepare our hearts on this Christmas Eve on the meaning of Christmas even in the middle of the Cowboy game, I'm like, why did they schedule the Cowboy game on Christmas Eve? I don't understand, but, but uh, I think we need to 
take a second and pause and let's recognize this is a holy moment. It's a holy moment. So every year we retell the story of Christmas, right? Every year we retell it. Every year, I mean, as I was reading up there, I'm like, I'm still going. It has wonder. It has truth. I mean, I, I, I recognize all of the mystery involved in that. Why do we do that every year? Well, Moses wrote in Deuteronomy about 3,500 years ago. Listen to these words that I think ring true today. And you must love the Lord your God with all your heart, your soul, and all your strength. And you must commit yourself wholeheartedly to these commands that I'm giving you today. Repeat them again and again to your children. Talk about them when you are at home and when you're on the road and when you're going to bed and when you're getting up. Tie them to your hands and wear them on your forehead as reminders. Write them on the doorpost of your houses, on the gates. Why do we keep telling the story to our kids? Why are they saying this over and over? Well, Deuteronomy 8 says, When you have eaten your fill, be sure to praise the Lord your God for the, land, the good land he's given you. Now, they were captive. They were captives. You know, they were uh, under slavery. And, and God miraculously was bringing them into a new land. And he says, when you get to that new land, you got to be careful. When you get to the good land, because this is the time to be careful. Do you see that? Beware that in your plenty you do not forget the Lord your God and disobey his commands, regulations, and decrees that I'm giving you today. For when you have become full and prosperous and have built fine homes to live in, in, and when your flocks and your herds have become very large and your silver and gold have multiplied along with everything else, be careful. Do not become proud at the time and forget the Lord your God who rescued you out from the slavery in the land. See, this is not just a good story that we're telling about some teenagers, Mary and Joseph, who had a miracle. This is our story of redemption. This is our story of salvation. Just like the Hebrews, thousands of years ago, were in captivity. They were, they were, God set them free from Egypt. God did a miracle. He parted the Red Sea. They crossed on the dry ground. We, too, were captives. We too were captives to sin, slaves to ourselves, to the devil, to death. And God made a way where there seemed to be no way. He did the impossible. He sent his son, Jesus, who actually created the world. You know, Jesus spoke. He is the word. And he's the one who actually said, let there be light. That same Jesus came to the earth, humbled himself as a little baby, Became like us, live in our world, went through what we went through. I was listening to that song, Mary, Did You Know, that line, when you kissed your little baby, Mary, did you re recognize you were kissing the face of God? Whew. He lived a perfect life. He took on the sins of the world. He took on my sins. He took on your sins. And he died on the cross, and he paid the penalty for our sins that we couldn't pay for ourselves he was buried for three days, and 500 witnesses saw him resurrected alive. Now he's seated at the right hand of God, and everyone who believes in him, he gives eternal life. Romans 10 says, because if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord, believe in your heart, and God, that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For with the heart one believes and is justified, and with the mouth one confesses and is saved. Notice it doesn't say whoever goes to church and tries to good life, have, lead a good life is going to get saved. That's not what it says. 
Salvation is connected to your surrender, to your confession of who he is. So we keep telling the story over and over because if we stop telling the story like Moses told, said, the, the story that our grandparents knew about this, the one that we know so well, our parents know so well, when we stop sharing the story, what happens? They will forget they too are in need of a Savior. They'll forget that without Jesus, we're dead in our sins, we're disconnected from God, that when you die without Jesus, you have one place, eternity and torment. It, it's scary to talk about. Hey, it's not what you want to hear on Christmas Eve, but this is the point. When you stop telling the story, what happens? Christmas becomes about good cheer, the spirit of Christmas, good feelings, pumpkin spice, lattes. That's all it becomes about. Because we stopped telling the story. We stopped telling the story that it was a real event that really happened. And these are real people that really changed the world. we got to tell the story. That's why we keep telling it every year. What Jesus did for us. We keep telling the details because the details actually seep in. The details, all the little things about they seep in and they become a part of us and they change us and they, they sow the seed of God's word in our heart. So kids, I want to know, the details matter. I have, I have a quiz for you, kids. You ready? All right. Up on the screen, we're going to ask five questions. Now you tell your parents what you think the, 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 the answer is, A, B, or C, and we're going to see how many you get right. This is the details of the story. Come on, let's start with the one, question number one. Why did Mary and Joseph have to travel to Bethlehem? A, to visit Joseph's family. Just, just make, a, make a mark. A census required them to return their ancestors' town, or he had to see a man about a dog. Uh, yeah, hold on. Yeah, B, census required them to return to their ancestors' town. Yeah, let me wait till I get to that uh, before you reveal the answer. Next question. How many angels spoke to the shepherds? One. Oh, that's good. B, three or none. They just sang. Okay, what's the answer? Come on, go to the next one. One. Only one of them said... Glory to God in the highest, peace on earth, goodwill towards men. What's the next question? Let's try it. Which gift was not brought to the baby Jesus by the wise men? Okay, here we go. This is for this kid. Was it frankincense, myrrh, honey, or gold? Which one does not fit? C. Let's try it. Let's see what it says. C, honey. Okay, you guys are doing pretty good here. Okay, next one. Who tried to kill the baby Jesus? Now, the baby Jesus. A, Pilate, the Roman governor. B, King Herod. Or C, Pharaoh. What do you think? B, let's look. King Herod. All right, good job. All right, all right. All right, last one. Maybe this is a little harder. What does Emmanuel mean? Chosen one, son of God, or God with us? Okay, God with us. How many got all, all of them right? All right. Hey, so the details matter. The details matter. We got to keep telling them to our kids over and over because I'm telling you the details, 
They get into the heart and they, they're life changing. What are some other reasons we need to keep retelling the story of Jesus? Here's one. The more we tell it, the better we get at it. The more we talk about Jesus, the better we get at it. The, more, the better we get at telling our kids about it, the, more, the better we get at telling the world about it. Look, guys, this is a season like no other. We have the floor. Do you understand that? We have the floor. We need to shout it from the rooftops. Jesus is alive. He is the reason for the season. He is our Savior. Come on. It's not just a cute story. It's the story of God's love for the entire world. Now, I don't know if you've never noticed this, but older folks are kind of good storytellers. You ever noticed that? And, and probably not anybody here, but I don't know. Sometimes I've noticed sometimes older folks might tell the same story multiple times. No, I mean, that doesn't happen in here, right? I mean, we... No, no, okay. But something I read was interesting. Listen to this. There's a study they did about storytelling and oral traditions that were passed on. And, and in the study, they asked people in their 20s, and I wonder, you know, I read some of these studies, and I'm like, who even pays for all these studies? So some of these crazy studies... So they did ask the 20s, they asked people in their 40s, and they asked people in their 80s to, to, to tell a story, and they recorded the story, and then they had a, a focus group, and they took this focus group, and they asked them to listen, all, all, listen to all these stories recorded, and they said, which one do you remember the most? Who do you think they remember the most of the story by, about? The people in their 80s. By far, it was more entertaining, more memorable. They changed the influx of their voice and, and the rhythm of their voice. They had gotten good at telling stories. They also found out that they knew how to craft the story for their audience so that people would remember it because they've told it so many times. we got to keep telling the story because you know what? It has an impact. And you know, the more we tell it, the more we get good at it. The more we keep sharing the truth of Jesus. Finally, why do we keep telling the story? Because every time we tell it, God's Word highlights by the Holy Spirit something new and fresh in His Word. Every time you hear it, there's something, oh, I didn't know I heard it. Man, I didn't hear it. Why? That's the power of God's Word. I was reading in the story this week in Luke, and something jumped out at me. Did anybody ever have this? something jump out at you when you're reading? You're like, huh, that's interesting. I never saw that before. The angel Gabriel came to Mary and said, Mary, Mary, you're going to have this, the son of God. I mean, can you imagine what she was feeling? Can you imagine? I mean, teenager girl saying, you're going to have the son of God. That's pretty crazy. And she, and of course, what's her response? What? Uh, uh, what? This is impossible. How is this even possible? And what does God respond? The angel, or should say the angel responded. The angel answered and said, the Holy Spirit will come upon you and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. And for that reason, the Holy Child shall be called the Son of God. And behold, even your relative Elizabeth has also conceived a son in her old age. Now, her cousin Elizabeth could not conceive and God did a supernatural miracle it says, she who was called barren is now in her sixth month. For nothing, listen to this, nothing will be impossible with God. I want everybody to say this. For nothing will be impossible for God. That was pretty weak. Let's try it again. For nothing will be impossible for God. 
And Mary said, Behold, the bond slave of the Lord may be done according to your word. And the angel departed from her. Every time you read the word of God, there's some new truth. And I want to impart to you with the last few minutes that we've got of the night, I want to impart to you one, uh, one truth. Nothing is impossible for God. That's what the story tells us. Let me say it again. Nothing is impossible for God. To the person believing for a miracle, nothing is impossible for God. For the person believing for healing, maybe it's the prodigal son or daughter. You're like, man, I wish they would. I don't know what to do with him. Maybe it's a relationship that needs to be reconciled. Maybe it's a dream that God's given you that's like, man, this thing's so huge. Maybe it's financial that you're going, I don't know how this is possible. I mean, I, I just want to just speak this word into existence right now for you, what the word of God says. Nothing is impossible for God. Keep asking, keep seeking, keep knocking. You know, two years ago, I got COVID pretty bad. And I lost my, my smell and my taste. And, and for two years, I, I have hardly been able to smell anything. And um, I've been asking the Lord, God, heal me. Heal me. You know, I've gone to doctors. And they've said, you know what? I just, we don't know what to do. We don't even know really why this all happened. We don't know what to tell you. I've tried everything. And half, half of you have brought something to me in this room and told me, here's how to get your smell back. No offense, but it hasn't worked yet. When I was in Israel um, a couple weeks ago, I, I called Sarah and I told her, I said, you know, it's weird. I've been smelling stuff that I have never, haven't smelt in a couple years. And I, it's not fully back, but about 10% came. But, and I'm like going, okay, pray, I'll take 10%. But you know what I've been praying? Oh, God, nothing's impossible for you. Nothing is impossible for you. See, the world says... Give me the facts. Give me the probabilities, the possibilities. Miracles aren't in the vocabulary. And the story of Christmas tells us a different story. God comes down into our world and invades it. He does the impossible. What are you believing for? Let me just say God is the God of the impossible. I'm going to ask the worship team to come out back up here. You know what else God does that's impossible? The story tells us. He changes the human heart. You know, before Jesus came, it was all about external factors, okay? Do this, don't do this, eat this, don't eat this, worship this way, all this stuff. This is how you get to God. And Jesus came along and he says, I'm going to give you a new heart. I'm going to literally change you from the inside out. A heart that was ugly, a heart that was selfish, angry, and fearful. And God says, I can change that heart into a selfless heart, a love, loving heart, a kind heart, a passionate heart for God. This was impossible until Jesus made a way. You know how that's possible? You can go ahead and play for me a little bit and just as we're closing up here. You know how that's possible for God to change a heart? Let me just give you one word. Emmanuel. What's Emmanuel mean? God with us. Not just God with us, but God in us. Living inside of us. Matthew quotes Isaiah and says, Behold, the virgin will be called will be with, with child and shall bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, 
which translated means God with us. Of all the things that could be prophesied 700 years before this, this is the one thing that God says, I want to tell everybody, God is with you. This wasn't just a characteristic of Jesus. It's actually one of his names. Think about every before Jesus, it was impossible for people to, to experience God, ordinary people to experience the presence of God. This was just for people who were the, the anointed priest, the anointed prophets, the kings. Those were the ones who got to experience God. Those were the ones who got to feel God. And Jesus came along and says, no, I'm coming to the ordinary people. He literally, at salvation, deposits a piece of himself in you. You got God inside you. He's with you through the testing and the trials and the good times and the bad times. I want to stop for real, real quick and I just want to pray. I don't know if anybody in this room feels far away from God. Maybe you feel like he's miles and miles away or maybe you've never even ask him to be your Lord and Savior can we just take just a second and I just want us to pray just close your eyes for a second and then we're, we're going to finish up and kids you can do this as well you can be a part of this but I just want to ask I just felt like maybe there were some people here tonight that just really felt far away from God and God's saying I'm Emmanuel I'm God with you and maybe you knew him as a little kid and you're like ah uh, he just feels miles away. Or maybe you've never asked him to be your Lord and Savior, but you're like, I just need to feel God tonight. I need to know that he's real. I need to know that he really can break through and be, be everything to me. I need to know that. Heads bowed, eyes closed. Would you just take it just a second? And if that's you in this room, I just want to pray for you. I'm not going to embarrass you. Just Nobody's looking, just me and you. But if you're saying, I just feel God feels so far away from me, and I just want to know that he's real tonight, would you just raise your hand? Is there anybody in there raise your hand and say, I, that's me, that's me, oh yeah. Don't be afraid. Thank you, Lord. So I want us to pray. Jesus, I know you love every single person in this room, and you want to show yourself to them. I pray you would show yourself to them right now, Father, in a real way. And can I ask us all whether you raised your hand or not? I just want us to pray the prayer of salvation under the Lord. Can we all pray this together out loud? Just repeat after me. Say, Jesus, I believe you came into this world as the Son of God. You lived a perfect life. And you died on the cross for the forgiveness of our sins. I believe you rose from the dead three days later. I confess with my mouth and I believe in my heart that you were raised from the dead and I ask you to come into my life and be Lord of my life. Amen. Amen. Hey, if you prayed that prayer and you would just like love somebody to talk to you, on the front of your seat pockets, a little QR code, you can scan that. It says, I think there's a thing that says, I need prayer. 
And you can just sign that. We'll pray for you guys this week and, and we'll call you and, and just and get in touch with you. But uh, I, we want to connect with you if you prayed that prayer and really meant it. So lastly, I want to end with this. The message that is this, that God can use anyone who's submitted to him. Nothing is impossible for God. It's not about you. It's about him. Think about Mary and Joseph. Who were they? I mean, we know them now. They're Mary and Joseph. But then, who were they? They were just teenagers. And God's roaming the earth saying, who can I find that just will be submitted to my heart? Think about the shepherds. Who were they? Ordinary folks. God didn't show up to kings and dignitaries. He showed up to the shepherds. Who were the 12 disciples? Well, they were fishermen. They were tax collectors. They were castaways. And God says, I can use you to change the world. In this room, I see a bunch of world changers. You may feel disqualified because of your past or you're, maybe I'm not talented. I, I can't do some of the things that, you know, that God can use me. Maybe you don't feel like you have the resources or whatever. God sees you as a world changer. Kids, I want to speak to you. You're going to be a world changer for Jesus. It might be in business. It might be in the arts and media. It might be taking my job one day up here. I love it. God wants to use you to be a world changer. Let me read this final verse. Matthew 5, 14. You are the light of the world. A city set on a hill cannot be hidden, nor do people light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on a stand, and it gives light to all in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. You are the light of the world because the light of the world, Jesus lives inside of you. So we're going to have, I want you to get your candles out, everybody. And I'm going to have us all stop the music for just a second and cut the lights. Oops. This is a picture of what the world was experiencing. This is, this is a, the best sermon illustration, right? This is a picture of what the world was experiencing before Christ. And it's what the world experiences now without Jesus. Darkness. Darkness. And they're looking for the light. And they're roaming through the whole... That's what they do. They, they, they go, maybe if I try this lifestyle. Maybe that's not really who I'm supposed to be. I'm actually supposed to be somebody else. Or maybe if I have this, this amount of money or this job or whatever it is, they're looking for the light. And 2,000 years ago, Jesus, he came and he brought the light. And the disciples, for the first time in their life, saw the light. Twelve disciples. And you know what they did? They went, oh, there's a step here. I didn't know. You know what they did? They said, look at my own heart. Never before had they seen, look at my own heart, look at my sin, look at, look at, I need a Savior. I need a Savior. And the light 
came and illuminated everything and they said, oh my goodness, my whole life I had been looking over here and right in front of me was the kingdom of God and I could not see the light. And Jesus says, I'm giving you the light. And he, began to, and he gave the light to the 12 disciples and they gave it to the 120 and the 500 and the thousands and millions and billions of people. But here's the key. You're not just light receivers, you are light bearers. We're just not receiving the light and going, oh, this is, this is great. We're actually bearing the light. And it's our job to go to the entire world, take this light of Jesus. And it's not out of our own power, but it's the, the Spirit of God inside of us that is the light. And we take that to the world. And so I'm going to ask everybody to stand up. And Mike, I'm going to ask you, do you mind coming up? My dad, Mike. Jack, will you come up here? And one others. Is that, is that you, Dale? Yes. Come on up here. This is going to be a picture of how this all works. Jesus, the light of the world, sent to the 12 disciples, and they carried the light on. And you guys will just take this light, and you'll just see the light go all the way to the back. And it's a picture. So they're going to sing as we do this. Oh, holy night. Let's join in with them.
Come on, in your own words, just say, Jesus, I love you, Jesus. <laughs> come on, come on, just... Oh, I worship you, Jesus, I worship you, Lord. You're so worthy of my praise, you're so worthy of my worship. You're so worthy, you're so worthy, you're so worthy. I love you, I love you, I love you. I worship you, Jesus. Lord, thank you that you are the light of the world, Father, Lord, and you, you put that light in us, Lord. And so, Lord, we just give you thanks and we we'll give you praise, Lord, on this Christmas Eve, Lord, as we step in in just a few hours into Christmas Day to celebrate not just a story, but our story of redemption and salvation because of the, t the, 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 the amazing gift you gave us, Jesus, with your life. Thank you, Jesus. We love you. Amen. Amen. Well, you may blow out your candles. So beautiful. So beautiful. Well, thank you so much for coming tonight and celebrating Jesus with us. I hope you have an amazing Christmas day. Love you guys. God bless. We'll see you next week.